Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Shall we play a game? Waiting in line to see Return of the Jedi, a man and woman were married in full Jedi costume. When Kaufman took on Jerry Lawler, he thought they'd work out some sort of a gag, but he was wrong, dead wrong, wound up in a hospital with a neck brace. The Korean War ended tonight, here on stage 9 of 20th Century Fox. Members of the 4077 MASH unit folded their tents, packed their duffel bags, and headed for history. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. Yes, indeed, we are back. It's the Decibel Geek Podcast. I am Aaron Camaro. Joining me in the studio, as always, my friend, Chris Zinzak. And you know what? We've gotten such a great response a couple of weeks ago when we fired up the rock and roll time machine and took a little trip back in time to 1975. And uh, everybody really dug it. You know what? I had a really fun time doing it, too. It was, it was informative. And it was fun, and it was rocking, that's for sure. 1975, a tough year to beat, but mm-hmm. we're going to try it today because you heard it here first. We're firing up the rock and roll time machine once again and setting the dials to 1983. That's right. This is going to be a good history lesson, and this takes me back because the last episode, I was negative one year old, so I didn't yeah. have a lot of memories, and you were just a baby. So, right. so this one, we can actually attach a little bit of our own memories to this to this one. Well, that's the thing, too. I mean, you didn't have to be alive to, to appreciate good oh, no. music. I mean, that was stuff. Them, a lot of them albums were laying around as I got older. Right. It was came good. out in 75. Yeah, when we looked at that, I mean, you think back to when you were young and first getting into rock and roll, and then you go back and you listen to that stuff and you and you think of how, what a discovery. It was almost like tapping into a gold mine, you right. know, hearing this older stuff that was so much better, you know. Right. Now, that's the thing about 75, because in, the music from 75 was all stuff that we were turned on to. You yeah. know, somebody turned us on to that music, be it cool uncles, older brothers, you know, moms, dads. Somebody was turning us on to it. In 83, we were at the age when we're starting to figure it out for ourselves. Yeah. Definitely. And a lot of good stuff came out in 1983. We, I'm, I'm wanting to see, you know, how does 83 line up to 75? It'll be interesting when it's all said and done. 
We'll have to decide which is better, 75 or 83. Yeah, I did, and I did a ton of research on this one, and there was a lot of there's a lot of interesting stuff, and we're going to talk about a few of, you know, the, just like on the last one, we're going to talk about some of the news stories and things that happened that year. Um, one big thing that happened that year that obviously a lot of metalheads and rock fans remember will remember is the uh, Us Festival, which was yep. founded by Steve Wozniak of Apple fame. And uh, the Us Festival, if you don't know, well, the main part that we're interested in was day two on the Memorial Day weekend that year, mm-hmm. and this and uh, there was it was kind of it was it was definitely a revolutionary time for for glam rock and like hair bands, yeah, because this was when Quiet Riot was first hitting the chart, the big part of the charts. Motley Crue played that show. They were an upstart group at the yep. time. And it, Metal Day was sort of, that was the one that people remember. Nobody really remembers the motels playing on day one. No, I mean, nobody really talks about that, that when know. it comes to the Us Festival. So, but we, you know, that, that was a big event that year. And we're going to talk about more events throughout the uh, episode. But uh, let's go ahead and get into some music. You know? Well, one thing I want to say before we get going, sure. we had talked about this last week about the uh, All Request Radio Sucks Radio Show. Oh, yeah. And I just wanted to remind you guys about that. You know, we're still taking requests. You guys, the number is 1540-DB-GEEK-1. Yeah. Now, you call us up. You say, hey, my name is so-and-so. I'm from so-and-where, and this is what I want to hear. And Aaron Camaro, you're awesome. And if you say that, you probably, you know, your chances of getting your pick plate is pretty good. Now, what am I, chop liver? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one that needs the reassurance. So, yeah, so call and stroke Aaron's ego. Right. Well, you don't have to, but if you're so inclined, go ahead. The Time Machine, we're here. We're now. It's 1983. Yeah. Heavy metal's on the rise. We're going to kick it off right now with my first pick. This one came out in that very year we're talking about. Fast Way, the guitar player, Fast Eddie Clark, the bass player, Pete Way, Fast Eddie Clark from Motorhead. Yeah. Pete Way from UFO, yeah, both very disgruntled with their bands in 1980 <laughs> yeah. in this year. You know, so they decide they're going to form their own band. The way it turns out, Pete Way don't actually stick around long enough to really stick with the band, mm-hmm. but Fast Eddie Clark pulls it off, and this was the debut album in 1983. Check it out for yourselves. This is a good one. You got to love the guitar. This is Fast Way with "Say What You Will," and it's coming to you dead from 1983.
All right, a little fast way to get us started on our trip through time to 1983 and our year in review. Why was Fast Eddie Clark so angry with Lemmy? I don't know. I wonder how he got the name Fast Eddie. I would guess probably from his guitar playing. Did you just hear that? That was awesome. That guy rocks. Well, yeah. I mean, he, he rocks. I didn't know if he's like a pool hustler or something, though. That sounds like a pool hustler's name, doesn't it? Or a hooker, maybe. Or a hooker, or you, <laughs> or it's like, a, like, do you really want to be known as as somebody fast when you're a guy? Because it gives the wrong connotation. I guess. So I never understood the Kiss song, Mister Speed. Do you really yeah. want to be called Mister Speed? It's better than Mister Quick, I guess, or something uh, along those lines. I come yeah. in three seconds, Mister Speed. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's not inadequate, Eddie Clark. He's fast, Eddie Clark. That's fast way. Say what you will. From 1982 we got a lot of great yeah. music and a lot of information coming your way so keep tuned in right now chris what do you got coming up next well i've got a really good song from an album that i think changed the landscape of rock and roll not really rock and roll of metal and it kind of really brought thrash metal to a new level let me before i get into that let me go ahead and give you an idea of some of the stuff that was popular that year the biggest single of that year was billy jean by michael jackson and you got to remember it's it's 83, 83. so you know thriller Huge, um, yeah, you know. So even wait, I was, was Thriller on that. That that's not Thriller. That was oh, Billy Jean was Thriller. Was it? Yeah. I don't even know. I don't know nothing. Oh, about now Michael I Jackson. believe me. I was a huge Michael Jackson fanatic when I was that. I, well, I mean, you got to consider I was seven years old. Yeah. So I, I had so. I had the J C Penny cheap version of the zipper jacket and the glove, and I had it all. Wow. But I was also getting into rock and roll at the time. Right. And one one album that came out that year. This is in my. This will go down as one of the greatest debut albums of all time. Oh yes, I'm talking about "Kill 'Em All" by Metallica. Love that album. Now you want to talk about you? You've got Billy Jean coming out this year, but then you've got Metallica coming out. This shows what an interesting crossroads of time this was. Well, and if you look at it like for what it is and how groundbreaking that album was, you know there wasn't a whole lot of music like that coming out. You know, there's a whole lot, you know, Motley Crue, Iron Maiden, Twisted Sister, you know, bands like this are all coming out, yeah. but Metallica was something new and different. Well, they, they were taking what the new wave of British heavy metal bands were doing, because it was obviously a huge influence on right. them, and they were combining it with the Black Sabbath influence and right. Americanizing it. Americanizing it, that's what it was It was like thinking. a hybrid, an angry hybrid of those things. That and it works. Out. And it totally works. Totally works. And uh, so let's go ahead and jam something off of Kill 'Em All that came out in July of 1980. This is Metallica with no remorse.
And we're back on the Decibel Geek Podcast presents the Year in Review 1983. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it reminds yeah. me of the uh, Pac-Man days, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so much cool stuff going on in 83. And for us, you know, the, the Decibel Geeks, you know, we love our hard rock and heavy metal. This was a good spark for a lot of that. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, we just got done listening to Metallica, their debut album, well, we're going to keep it going here. We've got other bands that are coming out with stuff around that time. Got some interesting things happening. Births and deaths. Yeah. Births and deaths. There was I, quite a few that year, I suppose. Yeah, I cherry-picked a couple of interesting in couples here. We got born in 1983, William Hung and Carrie Underwood. Yowch. Dead in 83, Karen Carpenter and Dennis Wilson. Hmm. Well, you know, seems like kind of an even trade-off to me. Learn the lesson. Eat a sandwich and don't do drugs. Some notable releases from 1983 that uh, may not get play on the show, but um, Kilroy was here by Styx. You know, weird album by Styx. Very you know, weird. Very strange. That was like their. Uh, that was kind of like their music from the Elder. Absolutely, you know? completely strange album. Because Styx is one of them bands, and they're not known as being one of the heaviest or coolest bands around. But they had their moments. You know, they had some really good songs. This album, not it. Yeah, and another interesting uh, tidbit. Motorhead put out an album called Another Perfect Day, yeah, which is a good record. Sepultura named themselves after a lyric in the song Dancing on Your Grave. Nice. I never knew that. Never knew that until I did the research for this. Nice. Thought that was interesting. So Sepultura's forming about this time, too, huh? I don't know about forming, but no. they, I guess we're getting inspired to name the band, at least. I suppose they had to hear Kill 'Em All first. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's your turn now, so who, what do you got next? Well, if you're talking about 1983, you cannot ignore this next band. If you're talking about any one of these years back then, I mean, it's hard to ignore this band because they did so much for hard rock and heavy metal. In 1983, they come out with their album, and it's a great one. Peace of Mind. Yeah. Yeah, good album. This is a nice selection off of that one for you right now. This one's Flight of Icarus.
right, a little Iron Maiden flight of Icarus. Maiden did a song with a galloping bass line. Who would have expected that? I would expect nothing less. <laughs> exactly. Great song, great record. Yeah. And I love the album cover with uh, Eddie exposing the brain. Heck yeah, man. Iron Maiden albums are the best. Yeah, the, one of the some of the greatest artwork. Now, now your artwork okay. comes on a little tiny thumbnail on iTunes. Isn't that sad? Stinks. But anyway, we're going back to a, to the days before iTunes when you yeah. had to, when you had to buy the big vinyl albums or the cassette or even at that time some eight tracks. Well, and the cool thing you think about albums, you know, and this is another thing, kids, you don't get this nowadays. Sometimes bands would put cool things inside the albums. Oh yeah, you know, and you get little trinkets. extras, things, you know, posters and and love guns and the, yep. all the like. And the next band that did a lot of that, which we yeah. can't go an episode without playing Kiss. I think we could do an episode like all on Motley Crue, and we'd still find a way to shoehorn Kiss in there, wouldn't we? I'm sure somehow, yeah. somehow well, we would. '83 was a big year for Kiss because for sure. a huge transitional year for Kiss because. After things had pretty much hit their low point with The Elder and then the very unsuccessful Creatures of the Night and Tour, which we, I love the songs, but it was a bomb. Right. Kiss had to make a decision because they hit a crossroads, and they did that in 1983 when they took off the makeup. And they did that on MTV with J.J. Jackson as the MC. What a huge moment that huge. was. And, I mean, although I'm sure, according to MTV at the time, they, it probably wasn't a big deal to them because they, they put it on at like 1030 at night. But for those of us that were that are big KISS fans, this was, this was a, you know, monumental, you know. Right, because you got to figure for so many years, you know, you just kind of got accustomed to the fact that we're not ever going to see these guys without their makeup on. Right. You know, they worked so hard to keep that image up and would go out of their way not to be photographed, you know, so hard that to the point when they announced they're taking their makeup off, it was a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean, it was to us. And then <clears throat> then they put out the Lick It Up album, which obviously everyone knows the title track. That was a, It was a very big song. Yeah. But I want to I go ahead and play a song that I think probably should have been released as a single, and I think had it been released as a single, it probably would have been a hit. Now, hold on one second. Before we go too far, I'd just like to say, you know, I think that the lineup, was kind of a letdown when the makeup came off. I think that's what maybe hurt it a little bit. Because had it been Peter Chris and Ace Fraley up there at that table with them that night, mm -hmm. I think it would have been a lot bigger deal than what it was. I think the fact that they had Eric Carr, who hadn't been in the band at, that long, long at that point, yeah. and Vinnie Vincent, who Brand new. nobody really gave a shit about to begin with, right. you know, all of a sudden it's like, wow, you know, let's take off, oh, that's what Vinnie Vincent looks like without his makeup on? Oh, wow, I've, I've been wondering that for the last 10 minutes. Well, I, remember, <laughs> I remember a comedian back in the 80s saying, you know, I saw Kiss without makeup for the first time the other day. It's my family. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. They're just normal dudes. You yeah. Know. Well, speaking of Vinnie Vincent, I guess we need to go ahead and update everyone on uh, Vinnie Vincent's recent musical output. Check yeah. this out. Hit play right now. Here it comes. Mm, there it is. Maybe not. Yeah. Speaking of Vinnie Vincent, we had April Fool's Day uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I did a I I did a stupid announcement saying Vinnie was going to interview on the show April Fools, which you know everyone expected me to do that. Yeah. Right. The Kiss FAQ did a great one though, where they mocked up a fake box set cover and and a fake press release from Vinny stating <laughs> finally here. saying that the box set was going to finally come out. And I, I almost bought into it for a second. Watch your mailboxes. They're on their way this time, really. Yeah, really. So anyway, but let's go ahead and get into a great song off yeah. of the Lick It Up album. Crank this one up. If you've never heard it, I think you're going to dig it. This is a million to one off 1983's Lick It Up album.
Putting the O back in uh, rock. It's just like a... Oh. 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 A hot night. Oh. Yes. 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 You're listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast. You are listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast, and we are back in time, baby. Back in 1983. A lot of great music came out in 83. A lot of big happenings around the world. Chris, you got anything else going on we should know about in 1983? There was a lot going on in 1983. I personally remember really getting into video games around 1983. Yeah. I had the Atari 400 system that had the keyboard on it, and oh, wow. you would put the cartridge in the top, and you would load the game... When you were loading the game, you would go eat lunch or go play a play a game of baseball and then yeah. come back, and by the time you got back, the game would be ready to play. Well, I remember my Uncle Bruce had the ColecoVision with the, the Oh, I love ColecoVision, yeah. yeah. And that was like the first thing I ever seen that was like that, you know, because arcade games, you you know, they've been around for a little while, yeah. but to be able to sit in your house and play a video game, even though it was two sticks hitting a ball back and forth, was just mind-blowing at that time. Yeah. You know, and then Pac-Man starts coming mm -hmm. out and stuff like that, you know, and it's... You know, you look back at that nowadays, and if you like, take one of our kids and put them in front of an Atari twenty six hundred, they're gonna be like, <laughs> "God, this is awful." You know how how did you guys live? Yeah, <laughs> but we would spend hours on yeah, it. So, you know, yeah, Donkey Kong Junior. Of you course, know, Pitfall, Pitf all of it. Pitfall was great. Yeah, but yeah, uh, little tangent. If you're into that old era of video games, you want to see a couple of fantastic movies about those things, watch King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters, and mm. also watch a movie called Chasing Ghosts. That's huh. my movie recommendation for old arcade games. That's cool. I've never seen either one of them. But anyway, Aaron, it's your turn, and I think you've got uh, some makeup-clad guys that aren't Kiss next on your list. Can you believe it? It's 1983. <laughs> There's guys wearing makeup on these lists. Of course there are. We're talking about 1983, here's a band that had actually been around since 1972. But in 83, they released their second album. These are guys that worked hard to get where they were at. And they didn't get the success they were after right away. Mm. But they started getting more and more and more. They didn't quite break yet, but their next album would take them over the top. But this is 1983. It's Twisted Sister. you got to crank this one up and get it loud. It's awesome. This one's called Like a Knife in the Back. And it's on the Decibel Geek Podcast. We're in 1983. Really sad, do you want some more? 
All right, from the 1983 release, that's Twisted Sister with a, like a knife in the back. What a rocking tune awesome that is. Awesome song. Huh? And right before they hit it big with the uh, the kooky videos that they put out on MTV. Yeah. I think back before that happened, before they kind of got you know commercialized a little bit, I mean, Twisted Sister was a hard-edged band. You know, this wasn't the kind of band that you would let your kids listen to. You know, they were they sang about some pretty heavy stuff. And then, you know, like say a couple of years after 1983, these guys start coming out with the, you know, crazy videos and they're <laughs> so poppy and, you know, a lot of people never got the right idea about Twisted Sister because they were introduced to them when they made it big. Yeah. But you go back and listen to those first two albums awesome heavy stuff love those first two twisted sister records yeah go check those out um check them out on amazon if you get a chance and uh you know buy some of that that old stuff that's the great thing about our show i think because we're trying to introduce you to like maybe some of the back catalog of these groups before they hit it big with other things because you know don't want to ignore the roots of where the stuff came from right because nine times out of ten that's the good shit yeah that's i mean that's what got them inspired to hit get those hit songs so um a couple things before i play the next track some interesting releases that came out uh that during that year journey came out with frontiers which i'm not the biggest journey fan in the world yeah. but i it is notable because it's the early days of mtv and right. anyone that remembers the early days of mtv remembers journey's video for separate ways of course. Where the band was, I guess, pantomiming the instruments uh, sitting out on like a, on a, what was it, like on a... Well, uh, they only played the video like twice an hour. Oh, man. And I think the band is still ashamed of that video to this day. I mean, can you... I, I feel bad for Jonathan Kane. Can you imagine trying to have to actually pretend that you're playing an invisible keyboard? <laughs> <laughs> the, just Looks the, like the he's worst. trying to get his nail polish to dry. Yeah, it's just overacting. And it's, it, you know, some good songs, but more a cheesy video. Well, you got to remember, you know, this was like the dawn of MTV too. And, and nobody, there was no formula for a music video before then other than like a live performance that was recorded. Now yeah. all of a sudden they're asking these bands who are musicians... They're not movie actors, you know, and they're not actresses. They're not, you know, trained actors. Yeah. You know, they're just rock guys, you know, and all of a sudden now they're trying to do some of these serious videos and stuff and stuff that probably sounded really cool yeah. at the time. And I bet you at the time they probably watched that video and was like, this is awesome. It's exactly like we imagined it. <laughs> but just like anything, watch a TV show or a movie or something from 83. Yeah. And it just kind of seems a little corny because, yeah. you know, the technology wasn't then what it is now. Yeah, it hadn't caught up. But thankfully, the music wasn't then what it is now either. You know, because yeah. 83 has definitely got a lot yeah. on uh, the late 2000s. And I'm going to play something now that a lot of people probably have not heard. Uh, most people are familiar with Ingve Malmsteen, the yeah. guitar shredder. And... Um, but if, if you don't really go back into the deep catalog of his earlier stuff, you, you, you may not notice the band Alcatraz. And Alcatraz was, a, in my opinion, an underrated group. And um, this version of the band had Ingve on lead guitar and uh, Graham Bonnet on vocals. Great singer. Um, and Ingve before Alcatraz, was in a band called Steeler with uh, Rick Fox, a good friend of the show, playing yeah. bass, as well as Ron Keel on vocals. And uh, Rick has told me some very funny stories about Ingve and his oh, behavior. Oh, I can imagine. So, um, Steeler didn't, you know, didn't pan out quite the, the right way. And then Ingve immediately went over to Alcatraz and started playing there. And, uh, this is a great song and it showcases his talent and it's not overblown with too much, you know, neoclassical lead stuff going on. This is Alcatraz from 1983 with Hiroshima Mon
Listen to the Decibel Geek Podcast on your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, and WebOS phones with Stitcher. Stitcher's smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. This summer, four acclaimed directors, George Miller, John Landis, Joe Dante, and Steven Spielberg, take you to another dimension. Twilight Zone Movies. Now playing. Check newspapers for local listings. Hi, this is Nikki Six's Out of Body Experience, and you're listening to the Decibel Geek Podcast. Do not adjust your boom boxes. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast. We're getting totally tubular with you today. It's 1983, and we're going back in time. You know, have we talked about Black Sabbath at all yet? Not today, but Not we today. always do. <laughs> we always do. So, you know, today should be no exception. And the fact that it is 1983, they came out with their album. What was the name of it? Born Again. Born Again, that's it. I can't think of the name, but I'll sure never forget the cover. Oh, the horrendous cover with the demon baby on the The on demon the baby. If, you, if you've seen it, you know what we're talking about. It's a crazy cover. It's purple. And it's got this big red baby on there with fangs and crazy looking eyes and devil horns and everything else. <laughs> you know, but like we said, you know, you, you look at the albums we talked about in 1975, how cool the album covers were then. Yeah. You know, 83, you know, still, the album covers are still pretty good at this point. You know, very artistic, very different. A lot of people won't agree with me when we're talking about this one. A lot of people think this is like the worst album cover of all time. It it got panned by a lot of people. Born Again's an interesting album and an interesting time for Sabbath because you had Dio had left the band. Mm -hmm. You had Ian Gillen from Deep Purple singing. It's amazing how all the uh, cross-pollination with Dio and Purple and Blackmore and all that, you know, because we played Rainbow recently on one of the shows. Well, it's obvious that, you know, they were fans of what each other were doing. Yeah, it was mutual mutual respect. And then, um, but yeah, this album, it was top 40 in America. It it didn't, it it never got certified gold or platinum, but it was top 40 in America. It's kind of weird. Yeah, it is weird. And then there's also the song Digital Bitch. Yeah. Which, who's that song about? Sharon Osbourne. Sharon Osbourne. So uh, the, their feelings about Ozzy and his camp at the time were pretty clear. Right. And also the... Uh, yeah, the lyrics on that song are pretty funny when you put it in perspective that they are talking about Sharon Osbourne. Talking about her being the rich bitch and digital bitch and all that. <laughs> Check it out sometime. That's not a bad song either. Yeah, and then... The album also kind of ties in with the movie Spinal Tap a little bit because of uh, Geezer Butler's uh, had told one of the directors of the movie just offhand about their trouble with a Stonehenge prop when yeah. they were you know they had the wrong um, size written out for the Stonehenge prop they wanted <laughs> on stage. So if you want to know where the Stonehenge bit from Spinal Tap came from, it came from Black Sabbath. Classic. I do not, for one, think that the problem was that the band was down. I think that the problem may have been that there was a Stonehenge monument on the stage that was in danger of being crushed by a dwarf. All right? That tended to understate the hugeness of the object. So we're, we're going to spin a tune off this record? Yeah, why not? You know, this is the title, uh, not the title track, but the lead track off of that album. It's, it's, I like this song. It's pretty cool. It's about drinking and driving, as far as I can tell. Here's Black Sabbath from 1983. This one's called Trash. 
And our trip back in time continues. We're almost at the end of our journey back to 1983. But before we wrap things up, I want to remind you guys once again, the All Request Radio Sucks Radio Show. That number one more time, 1540-DB-GEEK-1. All you got to do is call up and say, hey, my name is Joe. I'm from Alaska, and I want to hear Motorhead. And this is the song I want to hear. It's as simple as that. And, uh... You know, if we like what we hear, maybe get a little creative with it. Why not? You know, if you guys are funny and it makes us laugh, we'll probably put you on the show and play your request. We really would like it if you drunk dialed us. Totally. Yeah, yeah the drunker you are <laughs> when you make your request, the better. That's an old radio trick, too. Yeah. <laughs> Give us a drunk dial for a booty call. Why not? <laughs> hey, is this the Decibel Geek podcast? Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> this is Bubba. Uh Back, All right, well, back to 1983. Back to 83. A couple of little things we want to mention before we run out of time here. Uh, a couple of things that happened that year. Alice Cooper put out an album called Dada. Strange times this, in the history of Alice Cooper, 1983. This is, this is one of the strangest albums you will ever hear, especially from Alice Cooper. It had kind of this Euro synth pop sound and the reason it probably sounded the way it did was because Alice Cooper was pretty much drowning in alcoholism back at this point. Yeah, you've heard of Rock Bottom. He hit it at right about the same time as they were putting together this album. Yeah, because, I mean, it's, and it's weird for those of you that only really know Alice Cooper from recent years. He's such a clean-cut guy. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, he's got the makeup and all, but he's such a... He's such an articulate, well-spoken man who right. he plays golf in his off time. Well, back in the early 80s, this guy was, was, an he was a mess with alcohol. And uh, this album is is so different. And Alice has even said in interviews, he has no memory of making the Dada album at all. Right. Which is interesting. I'm not going to play any tracks from it. Right, honestly, because honestly, it's just really, it's not yeah. good. And we like Alice Cooper, and we want you to like Alice Cooper yeah. too. So we don't want to do anything to put yeah. that in jeopardy. So don't listen to that one. Another, you know, go pick something else. Another strange album that came out in 1983 that a lot of people may not know about was a, an album called Metal Magic by an unknown band from Dallas called Pantera. Yeah, but this isn't the Pantera that we all know and love today. No. And, you know, it's not bad, but, you know, take a listen for yourself. Here's a little taste. Definitely not what you're used to from the Cowboys from Hell. Right, but you know you got to remember at the time, and this is 1983. These guys are influenced by what's going on around yeah. them at this time. You yeah. know the bands that they had been following, Kiss, you know Van Halen bands like yeah. that that they loved, and this is boy, it's it's not it's different. They they haven't found their formula well, yet. At this point, I think they're more of a. I don't know. They're not their own band yet. They're still trying to figure out who they are. Well, and they and that was pre Phil Anselmo. That wasn't Phil you heard singing. That was right. a guy named Terry Glaze who was their singer at the time. Terry Glaze knew who he wanted to be. Oh yeah, <laughs> but it wasn't the direction that and, Pantera would end up going. And this is pre Dimebag. It was Daryl, but he was Diamond Daryl. Yeah, Diamond Daryl. Was it Rex Rocker? Rex too? Rocker. Yeah. <laughs> See, well, what do you expect? It's 1983. You know, yeah. Pantera don't want to talk about this stuff no more, and they probably never really did. But it's there and it's yeah. it's part of history and you know is it the best i mean i don't think so it's it's uh, weird but it's for interesting sure. to see where but it is from. interesting because it from a from a historical standpoint yeah and a evolutionary rock kind of a vibe yeah. that you know you see where pantera was in 1983 and then you look at where they are again and say like you know the mid 90s early 90s yeah. you know two totally different bands 
But uh, speaking of a of a band that was really hitting their stride, nineteen eighty three. Oh yeah, was Motley Crue, and probably taking over the world. Probably the majority of diehard Motley Crue fans' favorite album, "Shout at the Devil." Great album from top to bottom. Great Can't beat it. Great album, great songwriting, great look. They had the whole yep. Escape from New York thing going on, and um, which would later influence Black Veil Brides. I think they're borrowing their clothes. Well, you know, and that's the thing. What's good is good. You know, and yeah. for so many years, it was not cool to like Motley Crue, but Motley Crue had good, strong fans all along, yeah. and bands that were still being influenced by them. You know, and you can see it in Papa Roach. You can see it in the Black Veil Brides. You can see the, all these bands, you know, even to a certain extent, like uh, My Chemical Romance, with their look a little bit, you know, yeah. where it's that dark, you know, they all want to look like Nikki Six. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that was an iconic look back then, and it's an iconic record, and I'm not going to play Shout at the Devil or Looks That Kill, we've heard that enough times. I'm going to play yeah. a kick-ass song with some amazing drumming by Tommy Lee. One of my all-time Motley Crue favorites. And we're going to end the show with that. Uh, don't forget to call that number, one five four zero db geek one and off of Motley Crue's 1983 Shout at the Devil, this is Red Hot. We'll see you next week, folks. Remember to check us out at dbgeekshow.blogspot.com, facebook.com slash decibelgeek, and Twitter at decibelgeekpod. Also available for free on iTunes and Stitcher Radio.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 